coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. When I talk about selling, it's not just to your customers. One of the biggest sales you have to make is to your family. Right. And that was the thing is that, well, first of all, my wife, she believed in the whole thing. But the toughest part were the people around, you know, the extended family that would say, you know, you should have a little bit more. After years of teaching business and entrepreneurship, I found that when guest speakers revealed the hardships and mistakes made throughout their professional and personal lives, it resonated with my students. That's when I thought, why not share these stories so that other entrepreneurs have access to the same insights for education and inspiration? I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we speak with Chris Elmore with Avid Exchange. Chris has written eight books, countless articles, is a professor of entrepreneurship and innovation, and sits on the board of four startup companies. Chris travels the country speaking on the topics of startup success, innovation, entrepreneurship, sales, technology, blockchain, and automation. Chris started Avid Exchange in 2000, which is now a $1.4 billion fintech company with over 1,000 employees. One of the things that fascinates me the most is your undergraduate right. degree is in history and graduate in theology. How, how does that come to be and play well, into your entrepreneur roles? I play a little game sometimes with my students on guess my degree. <laughs> and they'll go, they usually start with business, you know, um, technology or finance or accounting, but they're always shocked to hear history. Theology degree. When I got that, we were about five or six years into Avid, in the middle of the whole thing. And what it did is it helped me start writing. So that's where the eight books came from. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, so it kind of set me on that path. And you know, when you get a master's, especially in theology, it's a lot of reading, writing, digesting, analyzing. And so it, it just continued for me, which I was real happy about. With that, we go from theology to, yeah. to writing, an yeah. author, yeah. and then we go into technology. And one of the one things I want to talk to you about is, first off, we live uh, the last 10, 15, 20 years with the tech boom, Facebook. We all want to invent the next Facebook. We all want, you know, Uber and all these apps. And uh, even our children are growing up saying, I want to make the next Instagram. So I have four children, mm -hmm. which is a lot. I don't know, maybe we should point that out. Right. And then my third child, if you ask him what he wants to do, his answer is a CEO of a blockchain company. The uh, teachers in school don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with that, to be honest with you. He just wants to be on the blockchain. But even with that, we go into the technology company, so even our children want to start up the next Instagram. Let's talk about Avid Exchange. While we want to start the next tech company, not of us, a lot of uh, children or myself say, I really want to make a difference in the accounts payable world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we didn't either. And I think that's maybe the backstory you're looking for is that there were five of us in 2000. We had an idea to create a real estate market, a, an exchange. That's where the name comes from. Okay. So we had an idea to put buyers and suppliers on a website, buying and supplying. So it was, it was your classic exchange. In 1999, 2000, that was real popular. People were still trying to figure out what to do with the internet. But people were getting tons of money, 98, 99, just off of ideas. Nothing was proven. So we started Avid about the day the whole thing blew up, just about right on the day. And I, I tell a story, and I'll tell you this one if, if it's cool, that we, we went to New York City, we got a pitch with a pretty big VC venture capital firm, 
the only feedback that they gave us was, I guess all the good names were taken. They, yeah, that, that was the only feedback that they, that they gave us. I guess all the good names were taken. And I like to tell that story because that's a lot, that's what it's like starting a tech company in 2000. You're in exchange at that point yes. where you're, you're connecting suppliers and buyers. That's right. So number one, let's yes. talk about the platform because I've yes. got a million questions okay. and we have limited time. First off, we're, we're pre-smartphone at this point. Yes, we right. are, you know, logging into Amazon and if we were to show a screenshot of Amazon in 1999, yeah. we would be appalled at how ugly it was. Yes. Everything, of course, is web browser based at this point yeah. for Avid Exchange. How do you how do you start to pivot towards focusing on AP solutions? Right. Yes, failure. Okay. Yeah. So the exchange, we weren't ever raised zero, no money. So what happened was we tried to sell our offering and people just weren't interested in buying it. So we changed that idea and we went to a second idea. And uh, same outcome, people just weren't interested in it. And then the third idea, it was a complete failure. You know, it's worse than the first two. Right. But then, so we had managed to get six customers. One of our customers said on the third idea, we've created a problem for him. And the problem was, you go online and purchase everything, but then what happens is you send us uh, a paper invoice and, and I, I'm unable to take the digital purchasing requisition and the paper invoice and match them. And he really simply said, is there any way that you can uh, digitize the invoice so I can match them? And um, we said, would you be willing to pay for that? That was because we were completely broke. And I, I've, I've told people a lot about my story on the second idea is when I got my car repoed. We also uh, lived in, in, in a house that was so bad that you had to go into the kitchen in the winter and put your coat on because the heat wouldn't circulate. So that was, you know, that's my typical entrepreneur story. And that's important for people to hear yeah. because we don't hear about you yeah. until you succeed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we, we hear that you're an overnight success. Right. When you're like, what do you mean overnight? That was the longest damn years. night yeah. of my life. It took, I say we were an overnight success that took 15 years. But yeah, it was, it was rough because the, one, of the, one of the things that's difficult when you're going through all that uh, isn't the, like you and your wife. And at the time we had a, a small child who's about, uh, he was just right at about a year old. And so that wasn't a big deal between the three of us because we could just make it. We, we felt like we were doing something important. Which but, is important, and I don't mean to interrupt you, and sometimes rare, because there are entrepreneurs to where that does affect the family dynamic. Oh, absolutely. And there's got to be expectations absolutely. and understanding all around absolutely. because it's a lot of pressure on everyone involved. I tell people that entrepreneurs have to have two skills in, 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 in great abundance. Skill number one is passion. People talk about that all the time. But it's not just passion. It's the ability to stick with something until... You shouldn't stick with it anymore. It's that it's that middle ground that people struggle with because some people are easy to, to quit and some people will just stick with it no matter what. You have to have a gut on it. That's the tough thing about school. You don't teach gut in school. You don't teach experience and feel and and all of that is super important. But the big the second skill that I tell people that entrepreneurs have to have and it's what I'm teaching at Queens mostly is the ability to sell, which I think. Anybody, so if you look at Avid Exchange, we are, we were an accounts, we were a tech company that created accounts payable software 
for the real estate community. That's our original niche. No one knew anything about tech, real estate, or accounting, nothing. But we were all five salespeople. That was the biggest thing that we had. When I talk about selling, it's not just to your customers. One of the biggest sales you have to make is to your family. Right. And that was the thing is that, well, first of all, my wife, she believed in the whole thing. But the toughest part were the people around, you know, the extended family that would say, you know, you should have a little bit more, you should be doing more. Or the worst part of it is you got your, your buddies who, you know, got a great job at the bank, not busting on the bank, but, you know, they're buying boats and they're going to Paris on vacation. You know, we're, we're just trying to eat at Subway. We thought that was pretty cool. So uh, that was the hardest part of the whole thing. So the, the question I always ask, because I believe sales is what most companies struggle with. It is. Within sales, what discipline does that fall in, in the business school? Because what we're teaching is accounting, marketing, yeah. strategy, and we're like, where do we lump sales in? Traditionally, I think it's in, in business. I've been talking with uh, Gardner-Webb and they have an actual sales and sales management curriculum in the business school. So I think traditionally it's in business, but you know, it should definitely be everywhere. For me, okay, we're gonna go off the rails on this one. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, so at UNCC, one of, my, one of the things that I've been working on is actually getting an entrepreneurial fusion into liberal arts. Because I think that entrepreneurialism and liberal arts are a perfect match. Right. You know, history taught me how to think and how to write and how to, you know, it was all things that were really helpful in my entrepreneurial career. One of the things that business schools struggle with is they have a tendency to tell young people that as long as you do this, you'll be fine. And that's completely false. So uh, like create a business plan? You know, I will if I've never had a business plan before. And, and you were able to build a company? To well, you know, <laughs> but the thing is we've had a business plan right. because we were trying to raise funds. And it was, it was a well-written business plan. But w one of the things about fast growth in tech is that you really only have about a 30-day view in front of you. After right. that, you have no idea what's gonna happen. Now, at Avid today, it's different. We can say, you know, we have our 30, 60, 90-day plan, we have our, our year plan, we have our three-year plan, and, and, and we'll stick to that, especially three-year plans. We're just, we're getting better as we get a little older at looking into the future, but as a, as a tech startup? Again, the business school mantra is create a business plan so you can go forward. It's more of an exercise. It's, it really is more of a liberal art exercise to say, this is what our expectations are, this is our assumptions, this is what we know, this is what we don't know. And now you're, you're, you're 18 years in, uh, over 18 years in with Avid, but you have a whole lot more data to say, okay, we've seen the good times, we've seen the bad times, this is what yesterday and last week looked like so you can make better decisions or, or forecast. We're hiring incredible people. Unbelievable people with great skills and, you know, you know, Ivy Leaguers and Silicon Valleyers and, you know, we're, we're able to draw people through, throughout the entire country and then pay them what they, they deserve to be paid. Um, Ten years ago, pitch was real simple. It was, hey, I know you're going to make $50,000 less coming here, but look what you can do. And one time out of ten, someone would say, I'll do it. And those people, most of those people are still with us today. I was going to, that, that's yeah. a good point. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, 
We all we, we talk about those that go work for big corporations and yeah. banks and utility companies and healthcare industries and make wonderful salaries. Yeah. We start up a company and we're heating ourselves up in the kitchen at the stove with our coat on. I think I could have opened the refrigerator and warmed myself by the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> people are gonna be laughing about that one. But, but with that, we also find that there are people that, that have that pain point or they're looking for that fulfillment to make a difference. Yeah. And when I say make a difference, not make, you know, we all wanna make the world a better place, but we wanna make, we want our lives no, to be Not fulfilled. necessarily. Right. There's right. a lot of people, not a lot, but there's some people that go into entrepreneurialism to get rich. Right. And that's, that's a quick failure path because three weeks into it, when you haven't made a dime, they have a tendency to quit. Right. So doing exactly what you say is something that I recommend highly, and that is go make, a, go make an impact. And even with entrepreneurs that go in it to be rich, the very few that happen to stumble upon it immediately never sustain it either. Let's kind of talk into that because we have the success that, that comes out of Avid Exchange. Let's talk about sustainability. You've grown rapidly. Yeah. Uh, so at this rate, you're you know to a $1.4 billion company after this long. So I'm guessing in 10 years, you'll be at $5 billion. But at some point, so. how, you know- I'm not supposed to say that. Right, but, but, <laughs> but the, the question is, is when does sustainability take an important role as fast growth? I think, um, by the way, real interesting question. I don't know if I have the answer to it. I can right. give you my opinion of the whole thing. And I think, what well, so we went from, in 2015, we went from about 60 people to 1,000, basically like that. One of, the, one of my favorite stats about Avid from 2017 to 2018, January to January, is that of our 1,300 employees, 71% of them had a new job. And a lot of that has to do with the capital that we raised. It's no secret that we raised close to $600 million between 2013 and 2015. And with that much capital, we invested a lot into the company. And, and that's, that's why you got that boom effect that it looked like we just came out of nowhere. Right. Today, I think the biggest thing is, is along the lines of, so we don't anticipate that we're gonna have, we're not gonna add another thousand employees. I can safely say that. Maybe we're going to match turnover. Maybe there's a few more positions, but there's a focus inside the company now to do a lot of um, uh, investing in technology and automating. And because one of the things that I like to talk a lot about, Avid was a perfect example, is that because we were bootstrapped, and hopefully we'll talk about bootstraps, my favorite thing in the world, right. because we were bootstrapped, maybe I'll give a definition of it just real yes. quick, is that bootstrap is you only spend the money you make and that's it it's and um so because we were bootstrapped we didn't invest a lot in the upfront in our product we, we got the minimal out and then what we did was we immediately sold that to somebody and sometimes uh, you know kind of hate to say it but sometimes i don't hate to say it because it's a true fact right. that the product wasn't built at all it was just powerpoint kind of cobbled together with an idea right. so um, what that did, so back to the business plan idea, because we had a business plan, but we didn't necessarily follow the business plan. Our biggest objective was getting the idea to a customer who could use it and pay for it. And that was really important for us. One, to sustain the business, but two, that took all of the opinion out of what we should do with the software because the customer was saying, I need you to do this. That was really important. And there's a, 
you know, there's a lot of incubators and, and accelerators, and I'm not trashing them, that would say, well, go out and interview 100 people, which is great. But here's the thing. There's a difference between getting an opinion through an interview with someone and them actually giving you a check. Right. And it's, it's, that, it's that practice of them giving us money to do something that says that you have value. I just dropped my phone. Okay, sorry. sorry about that. <laughs> we got to start all over. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> you said trains and motorcycles, but you didn't I say know. phone. almost even recap with Abbott. First off, you've got to find the pain point. You spoke with Lewis quite a bit. You find the pain point, you find a solution that, hey, this solves this issue for me, which is exactly what you did with the AP side. Usually the pain points that we found, people had no idea they had them. And then you have to educate them to say, you, you do hurt here and it could be better. And that's that goes into a, a, a sales cycle that is undefined. From there, you go into growing your company to a thousand plus employees, which now you're building capacity. Now we want to, I'm gonna say, take over the world. We wanna put our flag in this niche of the market. So now you've built that capacity. As you said, adding another thousand employees doesn't automatically get you, uh, you know, double, triple your, your revenue. So you fill that capacity and hopefully that builds to where you're like, okay, three years, five years, we need to build another thousand employee base yeah. for the next round of, of sales. Yeah. So let, let's talk about this. This is just one of many things you're involved in. Right. So, uh, and I find this with a lot of entrepreneurs, what else are you, you working on nowadays? I'm a strategic advisor at a company called Kingsman and they're, and it's funny, all I'm advising them on is, is uh, starting their sales process. They're a fascinating Charlotte company that had a development group and they know. So one of the most genius things about the entrepreneurial world is that when you have a product, your value has a tendency to go up and up and up. If you're a service, your value is only as much as, this is not the actual number, but let's say the service produces 10 million. You're only worth 10 million, but the product produces 10 million, you'll get a multiple on that. So you'll be worth 20, 30, 40 million because the product has a tendency to run in the background. I'm sitting here right now and Avid Exchange is still running. Right. If I leave, it's still running. Well, no, and that's another thing I want to make sure we define is a product isn't always, you know, a bowl or a cup. True. It can just be a software platform. Well, maybe this is not the right time, but I'll get my, the advice that I give entrepreneurs is I said, stay away from um, products and services or businesses that have retail hours. That's the first thing I, I recommend, my opinion. And the second thing I recommend is stay away from businesses that have to hold inventory. And the reason why, and now maybe it's biased, but that, that software is a great example of that, especially cloud-based software. There's no inventory. You work on the same basic code and everyone uses that base. But when you have inventory, you have a huge outlay that, that sits somewhere. So you have money invested in something that's sitting. Right. And I'm not real comfortable with that. Right. That's, that's really expensive. On a classroom level, that really is the whole concept of risk versus reward. Um, and, and kind of the anti-bootstrap of, uh, if I need inventory, 
if I need a retail spot, my investment upfront before I even can make a sale is exponential. And you see people on Shark Tank a lot. By the way, Shark Tank, really entertaining, but the most expensive money on the planet. So I'll take right. $50,000, but I'm gonna take 85% of your company. Right. But you, you see a lot of people on Shark, when they come on Shark Tank, they're looking for that a little additional money to uh, pay for the inventory. Mm -hmm. And you know, in software, we don't have to do that. Right. We just skip that whole thing. The other thing is, um, back to Avid Exchange, is it gives us the ability to just grow and no one's stopping us. And we, three years ago, we said we're going to double our revenue, and we did. And then we said the year after that, we're going to double the double, which we did. And both times, people said, you won't be able to do that because the bigger you get, the, the less likely you are to double. But, we, but that's the great thing. Nothing was really stopping us. What other companies are you advising? And tell us a little bit about your books and, and kind of the focus. To you, Laundry, I just advise in general. They're, they're looking for scale, and, and they're a great local Charlotte company that, that's growing. Then out of the eight books, um, seven of them are on the accounts payable process. There's a very good chance that I will never write another accounts payable book in my life. And if you want to clear a party, all you have to do is tell them that you write books on accounts payable, <laughs> right? And so I think that's kind of run its course a little bit. My, uh, the only other book that I've written is, is a book on presenting because I'm a big fan of, um, I like to teach people how to do great presentations because it's one of those things that if you're in corporate America and you have the ability to present and talk to a group, you have a tendency to to shoot through corporate America a lot faster. But if you're an entrepreneur and you can't communicate your idea to people, they simply won't buy it. Top three things you would recommend for presentations or your, and it really goes above and beyond presentation because that's your communication with. It is, it is. And you, what, you, what you have to do is you have to kind of work the issue backwards. You have to think, well, how does the mind best receive and process information? So I got a couple of rules. One rule is, uh, the six minute rule, which is if you engage your audience within six minutes, you're seven times more likely to get engagement throughout the entire presentation. That doesn't work for a group of like 500 people, but if you're doing a pitch and you get the people involved with it, you're more likely to have them kind of absorb the idea. I have another one, this is my favorite one. I'm glad we're talking about this. It's called, um, the law of seven. And if you have set more than seven words on your slide, then the brain, what it tries to do is read the words, but then the brain goes, well, that person is talking and they're, they're, they're conflicted and they won't, they won't listen and they won't read. So your point is completely lost. You've seen somebody put yeah. like 30, 40 words up on their PowerPoint. Right. Yeah. Don't do that. And then the last one is, um, um, have you heard the phrase, uh, pictures worth, do you know? A thousand words. Well, then why do you put words on your PowerPoint slides? Right. That was a setup. Yeah. Do you feel? No, I know. I, I understand. And, and it's funny you mention that because we, uh, I see this in the classroom. I see this in presentations and seminars I run. PowerPoint, which we may have to bleep out, <laughs> uh, has, <laughs> has ruined the presentation world. It has. And not because uh, it, it's probably one of the greatest, best tools invented in the Agreed. last 20 years. Agreed. It's just abused. When I was doing my study for it, it said that it, it starts us off on the wrong foot because when you open it up, it already gives you a template and you just start filling in the template. Right. And so you should delete the template for sure and just start blank. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to do more whiteboarding. 
That's the so now the book coming up at the end of the year. I got one, um, and you can check out my website for it. Please yeah, give it to us. So check out my website and connect with me. Uh, everything is the Chris Elmore. The because, Chris yeah, because there's lots of imposters. All right. Yeah. So, so the Chris Elmore, any social media handle is at the Chris Elmore, LinkedIn, all of it. So I'd love to connect, check out the site. And the book I'm really excited about coming out at the end of the year has three parts. The first part is to talk about what it was like to create a billion dollar company. The second one, everything that we work on in school, in class. How are you innovated? How do you measure your innovation? How do you communicate your innovation? That's what we talk about in class. And that's, that's the second part of the book. And then the third part of the book is I have a secret mentoring program. It's a secret because I don't want anybody to know. <laughs> and some of the people being mentored don't even know that they're in the program. Oh. But it deals a lot with what does it mean to be successful, happy, because I believe that if you don't have a definition for something, you can never achieve it. So that's the book. I'm excited about it. Number one, I want to thank you so much. We'll yeah. flash up some uh, your URL. And Great. thank you so much for participating. And hopefully uh, I'll get many questions from, uh, from uh, the viewers. I hope so too. Thanks for having me. Right. Thank you. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Nexigy Education or visit InfluencingEntrepreneurs.com to catch up on previous episodes with Casimir Ward.